Chapter Seven of Ruggles of Red Gap by Harry Leon Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Seven. Now once more, it seemed that for a time I might lead a sanely ordered existence. Not for long did I hope it. I think I had become resigned to the unending series of shocks that seemed to compose the daily life in North America. Few had been my peaceful hours since that fatal evening in Paris, and the shocks had become increasingly violent. When I tried to picture what the next might be, I found myself shuddering. For the present, like a stag that has eluded the hounds, but hears their distant baying, I lay panting in momentary security, gathering breath for some new course, i mean to say one couldn't tell what might happen next again and again i found myself coming all over frightened wholly restored i was now in the esteem of mr belknap jackson who never tired of discussing with me our own life and people indeed he was quite the most intelligent foreigner i had encountered i may seem to exaggerate in the american fashion but i doubt if a single one of the others could have named the counties of england or the present lord mayor of london our host was not like that also he early gave me to know that he felt quite as we do concerning the rebellion of our american colonies holding it a matter for the deepest regret and justly proud he was of the circumstance that at the time of that rebellion his own family had put all possible obstacles in the way of the traitorous washington to be sure i dare say he may have boasted a bit on this it was during the long journey across america which we now set out upon that i came to this sympathetic understanding of his character and of the chagrin he constantly felt at being compelled to live among people with whom he could have as little sympathy as i myself had this journey began pleasantly enough and through the farming counties of philadelphia ohio and chicago and was not without interest beyond came an incredibly large region much like the steppes of siberia i fancy vast uninhabited stretches of heath and down with but here and there some rude settlement about which the poor peasants would eagerly assemble as our train passed through i could not wonder that our own travellers have always spoken so disparagingly of the american civilization it is a country that would never do with us although we lived in this train a matter of nearly four days i fancy not a single person dressed for dinner as one would on shipboard even belknap jackson dined in a lounge suit though he wore gloves constantly by day which was more than i could get cousin egbert to do as we went ever farther over these leagues of fen and fell and rolling veldt i could but speculate unquietly as to what sort of place the red gap must be a residential town for gentlemen and families i had understood with a little colony of people that really mattered as i had gathered from mrs effie 
and yet i was unable to divine their object in going so far away to live one goes to distant places for the winter sports or for big game shooting but this seemed rather grotesquely perverse little did i then dream of the spiritual agencies that were to ensure my gradual understanding of the town and its people unsuspectingly i fronted a future so wildly improbable that no power could have made me credit it had it then been foretold by the most rarely endowed gypsy it is always now with a sort of terror that i look back to those last moments before my destiny had unfolded far enough to be actually alarming i was as one floating in fancied security down the calm river above their famous niagara falls to be presently dashed without warning over the horrible verge i mean to say i never suspected our last day of travel arrived we were now in a roughened and most untidy welter of mountain and jungle and glen with violent tarns and bleak bits of moorland that had all too evidently never known the calming touch of the landscape gardener a region moreover peopled by a much more lawless appearing peasantry than i had observed back in the chicago counties people for the most part quite wretchedly gotten up and distinctly of the lower or working classes late in the afternoon our train wound out of a narrow cutting and into a valley that broadened away on every hand to distant mountains beyond doubt this prospect could in a loose way of speaking be called scenery but of too violent a character it was for cultivated tastes then as my eye caught the vague outlines of a settlement or a village in the midst of this valley cousin egbert who also looked from the coach-window amazed me by crying out there she is little old red gap the fastest growing town in the state if any one should ask you yes sir i'll try to remember sir i said wondering why i should be asked this garden spot of the world he added in a kind of ecstasy to which i made no response for this was too preposterous nearing the place our train passed an immense hoarding erected by the roadway a score of feet high i should say and at least a dozen times as long upon which was emblazoned in mammoth red letters on a black ground keep your eye on red gap at either end of this lettering was painted a gigantic staring human eye <laughs> regarding this monstrosity with startled interest i heard myself addressed by belknap jackson the sort of vulgarity i'm obliged to contend with said he with a contemptuous gesture toward the hoarding indeed the thing lacked refinement in its diction while the painted eyes were not art in any true sense of the word the work of our precious chamber of commerce he added though i pleaded with them for days and days it's a sort of thing would never do with us sir i said it's what one has to expect from a commercialized bourgeoisie he returned bitterly and even our association the city beautiful of which i was president 
helped to erect the thing of course i resigned at once naturally sir the colours are atrocious and the words a mere blatant boast he groaned and left me for we were now well into a suburb of detached villas many of them of a squalid character and presently we had halted at the station about this bleak affair was the usual gathering of peasantry and the common people villagers agricultural labourers and the like and these at once showed a tremendous interest in our party many of them hailing various members of us with a quite offensive familiarity belknap jackson of course bore himself through this with a proper aloofness as did his wife and mrs effie but i heard the mixer booming salutations right and left it was cousin egbert however who most embarrassed me by the freedom of his manner with these persons he shook hands warmly with at least a dozen of them and these hailed him with rude shouts dealt him smart blows on the back and forming a circle about him escorted him to a carriage where mrs effie and i awaited him here the driver a loutish and familiar youth also seized his hand and with some crude effect of oratory shouted to the crowd what's the matter with sourdough to this with a flourish of their impossible hats they quickly responded in unison he's all right accenting the first word terrifically then to the immense relief of mrs effie and myself he was released and we were driven quickly off from the raffish set through their regent and bond streets we went though i mean to say they were on an unbelievably small or village scale to an outlying region of detached villas that doubtless would be their st john's wood but my efforts to observe closely were distracted by the extraordinary freedom with which our driver essayed to chat with us saying he guessed we were glad to get back to god's country and things of similar intimate nature this was even more embarrassing to mrs effie than it was to me since she more than once felt obliged to answer the fellow with a feigned cordiality relieved i was when we drew up before the town-house of the flouts set well back from the driveway in a faded stretch of common it was of rather a garbled architecture with the tudor late gothic and french renaissance so intermixed that one was puzzled to separate the periods nor was the result so vast as this might sound hardly would the thing have made a wing of the manor-house at chains Watton the common or small park before it was shielded from the main thoroughfare by a fence of iron palings and back of this on either side of a gravelled walk that led to the main entrance were two life-sized stags not badly sculptured from metal once inside i began to suspect that my position was going to be more than a bit dicky i mean to say it was not an establishment in our sense of the word being staffed apparently by two china persons who performed the functions of cook housemaids footman butler and housekeeper 
there was not even a billiard-room during the ensuing hour marked by the arrival of our luggage and the unpacking of boxes i meditated profoundly over the difficulties of my situation in a wilderness beyond the confines of civilization i would undoubtedly be compelled to endure the hardships of the pioneer yet for the present i resolved to let no inkling of my dismay escape the evening meal over dinner in but the barest technical sense i sat alone in my own room meditating thus darkly nor was i at all cheered by the voice of cousin egbert who sang in his own room adjoining i had found this to be a habit of his and his songs are always dolorous to the last degree now for example while life seemed all too black to me he sang a favourite of his the pathetic ballad of two small children evidently begging in a business thoroughfare lone and weary through the streets we wander for we have no place to lay our head not a friend is left on earth to shelter us for both our parents now are dead it was a fair crumpler in my then mood it made me wish to be out of north america made me long for london london with a yellow fog and its greasy pavements where one knew what to apprehend i wanted him to stop but still he atrociously sang in his high cracked voice dear mother died when we were both young and father built for us a home but now he's killed by fallen timbers and we are left here all alone i dare say i should have rushed madly into the night had there been another verse but now he was still a moment later however he entered my room with the suggestion that i stroll about the village streets with him he having a mission to perform for mrs effie i had already heard her confide this to him he was to proceed to the office of their newspaper and there leave with the press chap a notice of our arrival from which day to day she had been composing on the train i just got to leave this here piece for the recorder he said then we can sashay up and down for a while and meet some of the boys how profoundly may our whole destiny be affected by the mood of an idle moment by some superficial indecision mere fruit of a transient unrest we lightly debate we hesitate we yawn unconscious of the brink we half-heartedly decline a suggested course then lightly accept from sheer ennui and life as i have read in a quite meritorious poem is never the same again it was thus i now toyed there with my fate in my hands as might a child have toyed with a bauble i mean to say i was looking for nothing thick she's wrote a very fancy piece for that newspaper cousin egbert went on handing me the sheets of manuscript idly i glanced down the pages yesterday saw the return to red cap of mrs senator james knox floud and egbert g floud from their extensive european tour it began further i caught vagrant lines salient phrases the well-known social leader of our north side set 
planning a series of entertainments for the approaching social season that promised to eclipse all previous gaieties of red gap's smart set holding the reins of social leadership with a firm grasp distinguished for her social graces and tact as a hostess their palatial home on ophir avenue the scene of so much of the smart social life that has distinguished our beautiful city it left me rather unmoved from my depression even the concluding note the flouts are accompanied by their english manservant secured through the kind offices of the brother of his lordship earl of brinstead the well-known english peer who will no doubt do much to impart to the coming functions that air of smartness which distinguishes the highest social circles of london paris and other capitals of the great world of fashion some mess of words that observed cousin egbert and it did indeed seem to be rather intimately phrased better come along with me he again urged there was a moment's fateful silence then quite mechanically i arose and prepared to accompany him in the hall below i handed him his evening stick and gloves which he absently took from me and we presently traversed that street of houses much in the fashion of the flood-house and nearly all boasting some sculptured bit of wild-life on their terraces it was a calm night of late summer all nature seemed at peace i looked aloft and reflected that the same stars were shining upon the civilization i had left so far behind as we walked i lost myself in musing pensively upon this curious astronomical fact and upon the further vicissitudes to which i would surely be exposed i compared myself whimsically to an explorer chap who has ventured among a tribe of natives and who must seem to adopt their weird manners and customs to save himself from their fanatic violence from this i was aroused by cousin egbert who with sudden dismay regarding his stick and gloves uttered a low cry of anguish and thrust them into my hands before i had divined his purpose you'll have to tote them there things he swiftly explained i forgot where i was i demurred sharply but he would not listen i didn't mind it so much in paris and europe where i ain't so very well known but my good gosh man this is my home town you'll have to take them people won't notice it in you so much you being a foreigner anyway without further objection i wearily took them finding a desperate drollery and being regarded as a foreigner whereas i was simply alone among foreigners but i knew that cousin egbert lacked the subtlety to grasp this point of view and made no effort to lay it before him it was clear to me then i think that he would forever remain socially impossible though perhaps no bad sort from a mere human point of view we continued our stroll turning presently from this residential avenue to a street of small unlighted shops and from this into a wider and brilliantly lighted thoroughfare of larger shops where my companion presently began to greet native acquaintances and now once more he affected that fashion of presenting me to his friends that i had so deplored in paris his own greeting made he would call out heartily shake hands with my friend colonel ruggles nor would he heed my protests at this so that in sheer desperation i presently ceased making them 
reflecting that after all we were encountering the street classes of the town at a score of such casual meetings i was thus presented for he seemed to know quite almost every one and at times there would be a group of natives about us on the pavement twice we went into saloons as they rather pretentiously styled their public houses where cousin egbert would stand the drinks for all present not omitting each time to present me formally to the barman in all these instances i was at once asked what i thought of their town which was at first rather embarrassing as i was confident that any frank disclosure of my opinion being necessarily hurried might easily be misunderstood i at length devised a conventional formula of praise which although feeling a frightful fool i delivered each time thereafter thus we progressed the length of their commercial centre the incidents varying but little hello sourdough you old shellback when did you come off the trail just got in my lands but it's good to be back billy shake hands with my friend colonel ruggles i mean to say the persons were not all named billy that being used only by way of illustration sometimes they would be called doc or hank or al or chris nor was my companion invariably called shellback horned toad and stinging lizard were also epithets much in favour with his friends at the end of this street we at length paused before the office as i saw of the red gap recorder daily and weekly cousin egbert entered here but came out almost at once henshaw ain't there and she said i gotta be sure and give him this here piece personally so come on he's up to a lawn feat a social function sir i asked no just a lawn feat up in judge ballard's front yard to raise money for new uniforms for the band that's what the boy said in there but would it not be highly improper for me to appear there sir i at once objected i fear it's not done sir shucks he insisted don't talk foolish that way you're a peach of a little mixer all right come on everybody goes they'll even let me in i can give this here piece to henshaw and then we'll spend a little money to help the band boys along my misgivings were by no means dispelled yet as the affair seemed to be public rather than smart i allowed myself to be led on into another street of residences we turned and after a brisk walk i was able to identify the front yard of which my companion had spoken the strains of an orchestra came to us and from the trees and shrubbery gleamed the lights of paper lanterns i could discern tents and marquees a throng of people moving among them nearer i observed a refreshment pavilion and a dancing platform reaching the gate cousin egbert paid for us an entrance fee of two shillings to a young lady in gipsy costume whom he greeted cordially as beryl may not omitting to present me to her as colonel ruggles we moved into the thick of the crowd there was much laughter and hearty speech and it had once occurred to me that cousin egbert had been right it would not be an assemblage of people that mattered but rather of small tradesmen artisans tenant farmers and the like with whom i could properly mingle 
my companion was greeted by several of the throng to whom he in turn presented me among them after a bit to a slight reddish-bearded person wearing thick nose-glasses whom i understood to be the pressman we were in search of nervous of manner he was and preoccupied with a notebook in which he frantically scribbled items from time to time yet no sooner was i presented to him than he began a quizzing sort of conversation with me that lasted near a half hour i should say very interested he seemed to hear of my previous life having in full measure that naive curiosity about one which americans take so little pains to hide like the other natives i had met that evening he was especially concerned to know what i thought of redgap the chat was not at all unpleasant as he seemed to be a well-informed person and it was not without regret that i noted the approach of cousin egbert in company with a pleasant-faced middle-aged lady in oriental garb carrying a tambourine mrs ballard allow me to make you acquainted with my friend colonel ruggles thus cousin egbert performed his ceremony the lady grasped my hand with great cordiality you men have monopolized the colonel long enough she began with a large coquetry that i found not unpleasing and firmly grasping my arm she led me off in the direction of the refreshment pavilion where i was playfully let to know that i should purchase her bits of refreshment coffee plum cake and ice things of that sort through it all she kept up a running fire of banter from time to time presenting me to other women young and old who happened about us all of whom betrayed an interest in my personality that was not unflattering even from this commoner sort of the town's people nor would my new friend release me when she had refreshed herself but had it that i must dance with her i had now to confess that i was unskilled in the native american folk dances which i had observed being performed whereupon she briskly chided me for my backwardness but commanded a valse from the musicians and this we danced together i may here say that i am not without a certain finesse on the dancing-floor and i rather enjoyed the momentary abandon with this village worthy indeed i had rather enjoyed the whole affair though i felt that my manner was gradually marking me out as one apart from the natives made conscious i was of a more finished a suaver formality in myself the mrs ballard i had met came at length to be by way of tapping me coquettishly with her tambourine in our lighter moments also my presence increasingly drew attention more and more of the village bells and matrons demanding in their hearty way to be presented to me indeed the society was vastly more enlivening i reflected than i had found it in a similar walk of life at home rather regretfully i left with cousin egbert who found me at last in one of the tents having my palm read by the gipsy young person who had taken our fees at the gate of course i am aware that she was probably without any real gifts for this science as so few are who undertake it at charity bazaars yet she told me not a few things that were significant that my somewhat cold exterior and air of sternness were but a mask to shield a too impulsive nature that i possessed great firmness of character and was fond of nature she added peculiarly at the last i see trouble ahead but you are not to be downcast the skies will brighten it was at this point that cousin egbert found me and after he had warned the young woman that i was some mixer we departed 
not until we had reached the flowed home did he discover that he had quite forgotten to hand the press chap mrs effie's manuscript dog on the luck said he in his quaint tone of exasperation here i've went and forgot to give miss effie's piece to the editor he sighed ruefully oh well tomorrow's another day and so the die was cast tomorrow was indeed another day yet i fell asleep on a memory of the evening that brought me a sort of shamed pleasure that i had falsely borne the stick and gloves of cousin egbert i knew they had given me rather an air End of chapter 7